I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. That 95 Miami is, is my fondest memory. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave for the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host Robbie Dowling, well, he's not with me tonight. Robbie is closing a business deal this week, so I'm going to fly solo. Virginia Tech lost to Duke 24-7. It was not a great game, and I'll have... A bit to say about that shortly, but I wanted to start off on just a somber note here. We were deeply saddened to hear the news coming out of Charlottesville. The shooting that killed three UVA football players late Sunday night, Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis, Deshaun Perry, three talented young men with promising futures taken way too soon. Our condolences go out to the victims' families and friends. Please say a prayer for those people if if you're a religious person and And really, our hearts go out to everyone at the University of Virginia at this difficult time. In lieu of a cheers, we'll just do a brief moment of silence. There's no great way for me to transition out of that. So we'll just start talking about the AP poll, something me and Robbie do at the beginning of every podcast. And at the top, it's it's the same for the most part. We did see Oregon lose to Washington. And they dropped to number 12 in the AP poll. But UCLA also lost. So the Pac-12 definitely took a hit. Now, the UCLA-USC game is this weekend. Still a very big game. We've got USC still with one loss. So they're they're nipping at the heels of the playoff. Um, playoff rankings are not out yet. They come out at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm recording this just a bit before. So we'll see if I can get those rankings for you before I stop recording. But... We did get a little clarity to the playoff picture. It seems as if Georgia's going to get in. Because even if they catch a loss, they're probably in the playoff at this point. And it also seems like whoever wins between Michigan and Ohio State is also going to get in because neither of those teams have stiff tests this upcoming weekend. And they're probably going to be heavy favorites in the championship game, whoever wins the game, the game, in a couple of weeks. So... Those two things seem clear. Now, will TCU end up getting a spot? Because they're sitting in a really good position. They've got a a great strength of record, and they're undefeated. So they could catch a loss and maybe still get in if they win their championship game. But I think the ACC has an interesting prospect with Clemson and UNC both having only one loss, which so happened to be to the same Notre Dame team. Bizarre. Could Tennessee still get it? is what a lot of people are going to be talking about. So I am eager to see what their playoff rankings say this week, and uh, we'll find out in the next two weeks what happens. Unfortunately, the slate this weekend isn't very good. A lot of the top teams aren't 
playing much of anyone, and we just saw a lot of the top teams, you know, wipe the floor with whoever they played. So uh, I'm hoping for more clarity, but we might have to wait one more week until rivalry week to get that. Easy for me to say. Let's get to the depth chart injury update. Malachi, he is doubtful for this upcoming weekend. That's not a surprise. And we did get the final word on Dorian Strong. He is now out for the year. Probably just says he needs more time to heal. So that stinks for Dorian. What what could have been for him? It could have been a really good season, perhaps an all-ACC season on one of the teams, and, and that injury just took him down. They are still deciding on whether to redshirt a few guys, including star special teams player Tucker Holloway. He and his family want him to play the last two games, which would, would affect burn his redshirt. But he's a little banged up at the moment, so it may end up being a moot point. Um, I personally don't care either way. I know Andy Bitter did a little editorializing in his article about how what's the point of playing Tucker? He should probably just redshirt. If Tucker's really this much of a stud, would, would he actually stay five years to get the use of his redshirt? That's something I always think about. And my, my guess would be probably not, especially in the days of the portal. But whatever. It may be a moot point anyway. Virginia Tech is now 98th in the SP+. That's the lowest of the year. And 123rd on offense, which I believe is the worst of the Power 5 teams. That's very, very sad. 48th on defense and 82nd on special teams. Before I give a few more details just about this offense and go into the Duke matchup, let's talk about hooky hoops because the basketball team, thank God we've got the basketball team, both basketball teams for that matter, and the wrestling team. Hokey hoops is 3-0, but overall their strength of schedule is, is pretty bad so far. It's 350th out of 363 teams. Delaware State, Lehigh, and now William & Mary, none of those teams are very good, but it still is encouraging to see what the guys are doing on the offensive end of the court. Padula's averaging 20 a game. Uh, Grant Basil, he's at 18 points per game. Maddox is at 12. Padula also is killing it from three right now, shooting 50% on his 20 attempts. We finally saw Hunter Couture get a little hot against William and Mary, 22 points, six threes for him. He's averaging three assists per game as well as a combo guard. And I think Basil, although he came down from his big performance in game one, he did have 13 against uh, William and Mary in just 20 minutes. So he, he's putting up that, uh, you know, his per 36 is looking pretty good. Mutz did his thing first game back against Lehigh. A little bit of a lower point total uh, last game against William & Mary, but he he was grabbing boards and at a pretty nice clip. He's 7.5 per game through his first two games. Next up, we've got ODU in the Charleston Classic. Now, that tournament has eight teams, and we will play the winner of Penn State and Furman. If you look at those eight teams, we're the best, according to the Ken Palm. And Penn State is a close second. They're number 33. We're number 20 in the Ken Palm. But Furman's also pretty good, and we're only going to have to play one of those teams. So we'll see what happens between Furman and Penn State. Hopefully we take care of business against ODU. We have a significant advantage in terms of the advanced metrics. That doesn't always mean anything. So let's beat ODU, and then let's see what we can do in the next round. But we could win that entire tournament, and, and in reality, we should, because we are you know, the best team on paper in the thing. And I'm, I'm really hoping we go down there and show – show a little bit better defense than we've shown the last couple games. As for the football game recap, there's no recap needed this week. We started out with a nice TD pass, but after that, well, there was nothing. So 
I'm not going to do a game recap, and I'm just going to go directly to the calls for them to kind of recap it for you. You know, watching today, there were some really gutsy play calls out there, some really great drives, and, you know, excitement front to, front to back. Just the entire time, I was thinking, I am so much happier watching the F1 sprint race than the Hokies football right now. Hey, guys. I just wanted to give you a call. I'm living in South Carolina, so I don't get to see anything. Uh, but I did listen to a lot on the uh, Hokie app. Afterwards, I was talking to a friend of mine. I wanted to share the conversation with you guys. I said, uh, hey, man, did you hear that Virginia Tech won today? And he says, oh, yeah, you guys have been looking for a win. That's great, man. And I said, you didn't let me finish. We won the first quarter. We didn't do anything after that. And then we had a nice little laugh, and I maybe cried a little bit. Hey, Pete, Robbie, how you guys doing? Uh, look, since we're in the month that now contains Thanksgiving, and as a caveat, we haven't won a fucking football game since the month that contains Labor Day, I figure, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I should say that I am thankful that yesterday we had no penalties. That was the craziest shit ever. What a horrible fucking game. But yes, no penalties. I'm also thankful for you guys, this pod, and getting high in the swing. To the swing set, boys. As always, thanks for the calls, everyone. Just a few calls, but if you want to get on the reaction line this upcoming week and we take on Liberty, make sure to call 540-251-2169. The story of the game. Well, it wasn't too pretty, and our caller did mention the fact that we had zero penalties, and yet we still lost by quite a bit. And that's because Duke simply just beat us. Up and down the field, both sides of the ball, it was a slow and steady death. Not too many egregious mistakes in any aspect, just a terrible game. And they were better. And we were a little flat. Wells wasn't good. If you looked at his stats, I mean, his second worst QBR of the season. So now he's put up his two worst QBRs in back-to-back games. Just seven points on offense, 177 passing yards. And this was against what is now ranked 89th best pass defense in the country for Duke. So this is not a good pass defense. We could still only muster 177 passing yards. Awful. If you look at Wells' overall stats for the season, he's 90th in the country in completion percentage. It's just plain not good. Four yards per play for us as a team in this one. Head-scratching play calls all game long, all different series. There were bad series. Like It, it was really ugly. Somehow we averaged four yards a carry, but I think some of that was because we were running on what were clear passing downs. And so it was, you know, a third and long and we're running. And so we knock off five or six yards. And so that helped our average, but it didn't actually help us advance the ball in any way. Caleb Smith only had one catch. That's not enough. Not against this defense. Um, 26 rushing yards at the half. So even though maybe in the second half, we did put up some decent yards per carry. We couldn't move the ball on the ground. We couldn't get a push as usual. 4 of 14 on 3rd and 4th downs. Couldn't stay on the field. Couldn't maintain drives. The only highlight in terms of the statistics, I guess, was Lofton. 3 for 75, and he had that long TD catch. 3 receptions for Holloway. 3 for Wright. Holston got a few dump-off receptions, but it was just one of the more pitiful offensive performances of the season, if not the most. The decision-making by the O.C., Tyler Bone. It's it's 
it's come into play a lot this year, and especially the last couple weeks, it seems to be heating up. We punted in Duke's half of the field on a fourth and five early in the game. And I, and a lot of people, if you're in the other half of the field, you're kind of in that no man's land, and you, you're two and seven, and you got nothing to lose, I, I would think that you'd want to go for it. But no, we were cowards earlier in the game. And then later in the game, we kind of had a last chance. We ran a QB draw on third and seven and got just a couple yards. And so it's fourth and four. And instead of attempting a kick or going for the first down with kind of a four or five yard out pattern, we decided to take a shot at the end zone. And prize you know, statements after the game are that we needed to be aggressive, especially for a team like this. Okay, so you want to be aggressive then and not try to get four yards to maybe get a first down and keep the drive going and have better odds at a touchdown. But in the beginning of the game, you don't want to be aggressive. So he and Bowen aren't on the same page in that regard, or he didn't realize it in the early on where he was punting from because he wasn't paying attention. I don't know which one it is, but there's not a clear thread of what the mentality is going into these games. Are we going to be aggressive? Are we going to be conservative and try to hang in there? And so that was frustrating. And there's been plenty of examples of cowardly play calling the last few weeks, and especially this past week, when we have absolutely nothing to lose. At the end of the half, for instance. So this offense, it's an unmitigated disaster. Just an unmitigated is the perfect term because it just keeps getting worse. Nothing is stopping it from getting any worse it's one of the worst p5 offenses ever that's something i heard on the tsl podcast a stat that i think they got from shelton moss that if you look at all of the p5 offenses from 2005 we're in the bottom 10 of all of those offenses over that span we're talking thousand a thousand offenses and we're literally one of the worst ever so you can call it a talent issue and most people are sticking by that. We're just so untalented. We can't compete, blah, 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 blah. That is that is pretty much false. I, I know we don't have talent and we, we could use a little bit more, but it, the offense being this bad at this point isn't a talent issue. This bad is a coaching failure of epic proportions. Absolutely epic proportions. If you want to talk... Yards per game, 120th. Yards per play, 118. Scoring offense, 123rd. We're 18.9 points per game. I was trying to go on the Tech website today to see what our lowest scoring offense ever is. And, and I couldn't even find it. They only have the top ones on there. So it, it's it's so incredibly bad, though. It's going to be a really hard pill for the fans to swallow if Pry brings Bowen back as OC next year. And year one or not, like looking at what we've done, I I don't know how in good conscience you could bring him back. Maybe you bring him back as the OC and you have someone else call the plays. Or maybe you bring in a co-OC. But him just being our OC next year, I think, I don't know if you can do that. Like that's how bad this really is. It's it's Iowa level. It's Northwestern levels from the last couple years. It's as bad as... As Tech has ever been, you think about all those bad offenses from the early 2000s, the things we used to complain about, Stein Spring, Mike O'Kane, having poor O-lines, blah, blah, blah. This is so much worse than all of those. Than all of those. It's 
It's really hard to believe, and it's largely due to scheme and coaching rather than talent. It, it really is. I know I know the cupboard is light. I know it. We all know it. But it, this is a coaching problem. We're the only FBS team not to score 30 points this year. The only one. <laughs> and, and even Vandy beat an FBS F, or P5 team this past weekend, an SEC team. They beat Kentucky. They got off their skid. So now it's us and Northwestern for the longest streaks of losses. How about that? That's really nice. Seven straight losses. That is the most since 1951. We're talking 71 years of tech football. This is the longest you know, losing streak of that nature. It's, it's rough, man. Let's move on to the defense. The defense did the best they could, I thought. We, they were on the field way too much, 39 minutes just about, 72 plays, and they still only gave up 24 points. Some of that was due to a timely turnover or two, uh, but that was a pretty darn good offense. Just 165 rush yards for Duke, a team that was averaging 210 on the year. So Leonard, yeah, he had a good day. 300 total yards, three touchdowns. They were 10 of 17 on third and fourth down. We could not get them off the field. But we still only gave up 24 points. So I give this defense a lot of credit because the offense didn't help them out at all. And they hung tough. You know, Mansoor Delaney had that interception that was really sweet for him. It, it's it's simply crazy that the best player on our defense, arguably the best player on our defense, is a true freshman who missed the vast majority of fall camp. That's where we're at. That That's our best defensive player right now. True freshman who missed most of fall camp. So I give a lot of credit for this defense for hanging tough, giving us a chance. But the offense didn't want to give us a chance today. And that's something that, that Pry talked about in his postgame. He, he's been critical of this offense in subtle and not so subtle ways. He talked about get, not getting enough help many times for what coaches normally do with regards to sides of the ball. He's basically been chastising his offense because most, most coaches, they take it easy. Like if one side's having a rough year, you know, they don't say too much. But, but Pry has been kind of vocal about how he's been frustrated about the offense. And that kind of makes me think he would be willing to make a change. The zero penalties was really, <laughs> they were talking about on TSL how we've done that so, so rarely. And oftentimes when we do have zero or one penalties, we, we don't do so good in the game, which is just also a weird quirk. And and maybe that's because when you're committing penalties, it means you're you're taking chances, right? Like you're, you're trying to hold a guy just a little bit longer so your QB can get free. Or you're making a block, maybe you shouldn't. Or, you know, you swat at someone who's about to catch the ball and you, you might get a P.I. Well, maybe we've scared ourselves into not committing penalties so much that we weren't competitive in this one. <laughs> That's just something I was thinking about today. But we got two games left on the schedule. And, you know, both of the games could be a little bit tricky to win. We've got Liberty on the road, which Liberty's an 8-2 and two team but they really haven't played much of anyone. And UVA, while also not a good team, you know, it's almost awkward to talk about that game now because of what has just happened to the UVA football team. And and I don't even know if we're going to end up playing that game. So what can we see? What kind of progress can we get, especially from this offense, which they've already tried to tweak things a little bit. And you saw 
our run blocking and run game improves slightly before Malachi goes down. And now, you know, and then the pass blocking kind of fell apart. But in this game, we only give up two sacks. But, like, they're doing it with smoke and mirrors because they don't really have a clue what they're doing. And so I don't know if it's going to get any better versus Liberty, but bad teams knock off good teams. I know you've heard me and Robbie talk about the odds and this and that, but we just saw Vandy win. We just saw BC beat NC State. Crazy things happen. Bad teams beat better teams all the time in college football. And if we want to feel any encouragement, any kind of sign that things are getting better before the end of the year, gosh, I hope we have a game like that against Liberty especially. Uh, And so let's get into the Liberty matchup in a minute. I do want to just take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. They've been really good to us the last few seasons. Their beer selection is absolutely unmatched. You go out in Gaithersburg, they have a great selection of craft Maryland cans. And it's the same thing with Virginia down in Falls Church at the Dominion location. Both places you can get a nice bite of food. You can have beer on tap. It's it's really just one of the best you know businesses I know. And, and I'm, I'm happy to call Aras, the guy who runs the store with his brother or friend. And, uh, you know, make sure you check them out for all your beer and wine needs this season, as we've said every week. But seriously, go in there, have a beer, and enjoy yourself over the next couple weeks before the season gets over. Maybe you go there for the championship games. Falls Church, that's where Dominion is. And Gaithersburg, that's where you'll find Downtown Crown, right in the Downtown Crown Shopping Center. I am not drinking a beer I care to review tonight. I am having a beer. It's just lowly Modelo here. However... We had a caller call in with his own beer review, and I actually thought it was a really good idea. This was from Byron Walters. I think it was Byron and not Brian. Kind of hard to tell from the message. But he reviewed a beer from Munkle Brewing in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm going to play that review for you now. came across as the first time I've ever uh, had anything like this, but it's Munkle Brewing Company out of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, they specialize in a lot of Belgian uh, and German type beers. Uh, this particular one is called, uh, and I hope I'm saying this right, Kirstevon, uh, which means Christmas Eve. Uh, it's a Belgian dark, uh, dark strong ale. Flavor profile, it's got a lot of the spices that you uh, expect from like, uh, wintertime, uh, maybe similar to some of the spices you get out of a pumpkin ale, but it's not going to be the pumpkin flavors, uh, that are in it. It is somewhat fruity, not really cranberry, but, um, it's got, uh, cinnamon. I'm picking up maybe a, a slight, uh, ginger. Um, and definitely some, I, I, I can't get past thinking that it, it tastes a, a bit like cloves. Mouthfeel, texture of that beer is probably the biggest point to me. It's very creamy, kind of velvety, uh, um, uh, texture. And it is, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's my first time having a beer like this. So I listen to you guys every single, uh, all your podcasts for the past couple of years. Um, I've even had a bit of a superstition about it, thinking that um, not listening to the podcast um, brought bad luck. So lately I've been listening to it twice, and it's not been helping. Thank you, Byron, for calling in. And we do really appreciate the beer review, too. If anyone else wants to call in with a beer review, that's something I hadn't considered since since Rob's been drinking a non-alcoholic beer. It's actually a good idea to maybe get some reviews from our listeners now that we have the reaction line. So just call 540-251-2169 at any time during the week if you're having a beer that you really like or you think is unique or that 
you know, you think the listeners might enjoy hearing about. Give us a call, review the beer, and we'll play one each week alongside my beer review. All right, let's get into Liberty. 11-19 at noon. Liberty is 8-2, and two, as I mentioned earlier. Their losses are to Wake Forest and UConn. And while those two teams seem a lot different, their records really aren't. UConn now ball eligible. Wake kind of fallen off as of late, and they just lost to UNC. But Liberty does not have a win against a team over 500. Both BYU and Arkansas are 5-5, five and five, and one other team on their schedule might be 5-5 five and five as well. But the wins are against Southern Miss, UAB, Akron, ODU, UMass, BYU, Arkansas, and Gardner-Webb. And Akron and UMass, if you look at the SP+, they're the two worst teams in FBS. And then Gardner-Webb, not a very good FCS team. And so th- this is a really poor strength of schedule. It's 113th if you look at the Sagarin ratings and strength of schedule. We're 69th. So you thought we had a bad strength of schedule? Well, Liberty's is materially worse than ours. But they're winning the vast majority of their games. So I'll give them credit for that. They were ranked last week, and so that takes a little bit of the the thrill out of this one, right? Maybe we could have been the team to to knock them out of the rankings, but be that as it may, I think the way the game ended a couple years ago against Liberty should give our guys all the motivation they need to want to win this game. Liberty is 73rd in the SP+, 81 on offense, 49th on defense, and 87th in special teams. They're coached by Hugh Freeze. We've talked about how good of a coach he is and how he always plays well in the big games or gets his team to play well in the big games. But he is indeed a slimy person if you want to look into the way he exited Ole Miss. He is 34-13 and 13 at Liberty. That is, that is really outrageously good. This is going to be a tough one. As I said, their offense, it's worse than their defense. 81st SP+, a little bit better in yards per play, but that's because of the schedule. But they're running the ball pretty well. They've got this running back, Day-Day Hunter. He's got 850 yards in the season, eight touchdowns, six and a half yards per carry, almost 100 yards per game for him. And then Shadro Lewis, he's at 4.15 yards per carry and seven touchdowns. So between those two running backs, they got 15 TDs. And then they kind of run this other quarterback running back hybrid in Kaidon Slater. He's got 200 yards and two touchdowns himself. So all these different ways they can run the football, including their actual QB, Jonathan Bennett. Jonathan Bennett, not a good thrower. He's got 128 passer rating, which is still, that's still better than Grant Wells. But his QBR is actually worse than Wells at 41.5. That is a terrible QBR. Again, because that's a you know competition-based statistic, it factors in who he's playing. 58% completion percentage. He had an under 10 QBR against Gardner-Webb a game they won by one point. So we've talked about before, Liberty lost to Wake by one, and it's like, wow, they almost beat Wake. Well, they almost lost to to Gardner-Webb when they won by one. So this team's really all over the map. They've lacked some consistency, despite the fact that they're winning these games. Their performances week in and week out are pretty inconsistent. Their offensive line is nothing to speak of. In fact, they're 115th worst in tackles for loss allowed. They're averaging over seven tackles for loss allowed per game. 104th in sacks allowed, 29 total, allowed another 29 hurries. They're giving up a lot of pressure. So for our D-line, some 
you know, a group that's had real trouble getting pressure with just four guys. This is music to to my ears and to Pry's ears probably. We should be able to get in there and get some pressure on Bennett. And if we do get pressure on him, he's not a great runner. He's okay, but he's really not a good runner. And so this team kind of plays into our strengths, I think. And I know I've said that before, but if you look at the way we defend the run and the way we defend the pass, I would rather play a team that runs the ball a little bit better than they pass. And that's what this team is. I think we can stifle this running game a bit. And then Jonathan Bennett having to beat us, I don't necessarily think he's going to have a super successful day. Now, they're going to score points. Don't get me wrong. I just think that this matchup does play into our favor just a little bit when, with regard to our defense going up against their offense. Flipping it the other way, their defense is 49th in SP+, 24th in yards per play. Uh, it's it's a pretty solid unit. They're number one in the country in tackles for loss per game. 9.1 from this defense. Their defensive lineman, Darrell Johnson, he's got 18.5 tackles for loss. That's an insane number with two games still left in the season. Seven sacks for him. Uh, Ozagid, he's got 10.5 TFL and six sacks. Treshawn Clark, four sacks for him. This D-line is good. It's probably their best unit, although they're a Posing passer rating, as far as their back end goes, it's 13th in the country. So they're they're not allowing people to pass on them very much either. As always, the competition plays into that. But look at who our quarterback is. It's not like it's not like we're bringing an all ACC caliber quarterback to the table. So this is going to be tough. But as we've said before, it's not always about the defense we're playing. You know, we've scored points on good defense, and we've scored very low amounts of points on bad defenses against Duke and UNC. And so I I really don't know what to expect. It's really, with our offense at this point, it's just a matter of how many accidents can there be, right? Accidents for the defense and happy accidents for our offense. That's, you know, I'm Bob Ross now talking about happy accidents, but for real, like we have to get lucky in order to score touchdowns. You look at that first touchdown against Duke, that was luck. The 85-yard touchdown against NC State, luck. We got a little bit of a push-off. Caleb gets free. We get a TD. You know, Dwayne Lofton makes his first actual really nice catch of the year. We get a TD against Duke. We need happy accidents in order to beat anybody, and we're going to need several of them in order to beat Liberty because they're probably going to put up some points in this game. And so, yeah, it's a tough defense, but again, I don't care about that. I care about our team coming out with a spark, with a fire, and and not being flat, and maybe being able to maintain some early momentum like we had against Duke. And I do think that the play calling, you know, factors into that. You think about the way we called that game. You have the punt early on when you're in their half of the field. And that just kind of, it's a little seedling of like no confidence in your offense and maybe no confidence in your defense as well because you don't think they can stop them from midfield to not score. And then that bleeds into the rest of the game, and you slowly erodes away, and then you lose and never score another point in the game. We're not going to win this game without some kind of spark. Now, that could be going for it on a couple early fourth downs, applying a little pressure to that defense. And maybe that builds that confidence a little bit for the team and turns up the pressure on Liberty, whatever. But I also think that spark could come from a change to the quarterback position. And I, I don't I know that we've been riding with Wells all year and you know we kind of need to see what we have in him if we want to make a 
judgment on next year. Eh, I want to win a game. And right now with the way Wells is playing, I really don't think that's going to happen. He, he may be the most talented and have the best mechanics and the best arm and all that stuff. But just starting someone else, whether it be Jason Brown or Devin Farrell or Taj Bullock, could really give a lift to the rest of the team. It really could. And so I, I would give Jason Brown a start in this game. I would try it. I, I would even try Devin Farrell or Taj. I, I really, I think we need to try something else, at least for this game. We need this locker room to feel something. And I, I like just like we went to Hooker when we went to Miami after that Duke game, a change to the QB position could go a long way. If it doesn't happen, I think we can still win, but it's going to require us kind of punching Liberty in the mouth right away and showing them like, oh, these guys really aren't trash, right? Like they probably think that we're terrible. We're going in there with a two and eight record. Everyone's been talking about how ODU beat us and, you know, we're awful in the Commonwealth. And that's what they think right now. So if we go in there, smack on the mouth, and they're they're all of a sudden they're like, oh, these guys are actually going to compete all day. It might it might give us what we need to beat them. And we talk about Hugh Freeze in the big games and how good he is. However, this really isn't a big game for for them. They're ten point favorites, right? This isn't we're not a ranked team. This isn't nationally televised. Like he plays well when he's going up against an SEC team or you know playing playing a ranked Wake team. I'm not so sure this is like. Hugh Freeze's big game kind of style. So um, at least that's what I'm hoping. I mean, he clearly didn't have them ready to play for UConn. I mean, UConn is not, you, be the whatever they are improved, like they shouldn't have beaten Liberty in that situation. And they did. And so Freeze is susceptible, just like anyone else, to having his team come out flat. It happens. I, I doubt it'll happen versus Tech, but we need a win. And I think it's very possible, very possible to win this game. I think it's extremely possible that we cover. Like, this is the kind of game where if I bet on Tech, I would absolutely take the money line. With a 10-point spread, this, this, is a, this is either you get blown out or you win. That's, that's kind of how I feel about this game. And I would lean towards winning. I, I really would. If those were my two options, blowout or win, I would lean towards winning because this, this is a team that I think we're going to be motivated to beat I think plays into our strengths in more ways than one. And if we were to do something like start a Jason Brown or a young QB, it might give us that lift we need to come out on top. Big picture stuff, Liberty and the Falwells, they are the worst. Like the absolute scum of the earth, worst. And if you don't think so or disagree or just don't know, I encourage you to watch the latest documentary on Hulu, God forbid, that goes into the fall of the Falwell dynasty, for lack of a better word, and it's eye-opening. And we need to whoop their butt in football. Um, It would just be so satisfying. In fact, I think it would be, especially this year, a lot more satisfying to beat Liberty than it would to beat UVA or ODU or anybody else. So I really hope we come out with the win. Um, There's not a lot of good games this weekend. I said that earlier, USC at UCLA, Utah at Oregon are really the only like good, good games from a national perspective, and they're both in the Pac-12. So I'm not going to make any picks without Rob, uh, but this has been a tough season, guys. It, it really has been. And that Duke game, it was as tough as they come to, to muster watching it, 
to muster doing this podcast, talking about it, it was rough. And so if you're still listening to me talking by myself in my basement on a Tuesday night, uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you so much. And the people who call in and say like, hey, thanks for making the pod. You know, you have no idea how much that means to me and Rob because it is a lot of work in this season, unlike some others and like some others has been a slog. It's It's been a slog. And we're almost to the end. And, and uh, you know, with the tragedy happening at UVA, even that game is now, the meaning of it is kind of paling for me just because like, what does it matter? Because these, these are all like real people with real lives and, and that was so tragic. So I, I just want to, I want to win this game against Liberty and, and we'll just kind of see if whether the UVA ha- game happens or not. But, uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed the pod. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2DVT.com is the website. And then 2DVT at gmail.com if you want to email us anything. And until next time when we are, God willing, not God forbid, celebrating a big win over Liberty, go Hokies. 